following lecture was produced by the Gnostic Academy of Chicago, a nonprofit organization, and is one of many available for podcast, download, and transcription. You can visit chicagonosis.org to find courses, articles, scriptures, commentaries, and other valuable resources that address a wide variety of spiritual subjects, interests, and needs. Through the generous support of listeners like you, the Gnostic Academy of Chicago has produced online courses, lectures, and articles freely available worldwide. If you have benefited from this knowledge, help humanity through making a tax-deductible donation at chicagonosis.org. If you are interested in attending the Gnostic Academy of Chicago in person, you may view our online class schedule and freely register at meetup.com slash chicagonosis. The Chicagoland Gnostic Academy provides humanity with the necessary means for transforming suffering and acquiring personal knowledge of the divine. With this purpose in mind, we now begin the lecture. May all beings be happy. good for the purpose of our studies to discuss the nature of divine love and its practicality, its need, its importance. Simply look at the world today, at the news, and you find acts of destruction that are unprecedented, crimes that are beyond comprehension. The world is in a state of calamity that precedes a much greater state of global crisis of which the prophets of all religions have warned against. It is through the recognition of suffering that the student of genuine religion seeks to understand how to change oneself. If we do not change our negative interior psychological states we cannot hope to produce the changes we seek among other sentient beings it is precisely through overcoming the afflictions of our own mind its conditioning that we can learn to transmit the light of the divine which is within us the thing to remember and comprehend is the nature of the self The real self, the being, does not pertain to any individual, any person. The being, the self, is not our fears, our anxieties that cause so much distress and confusion. Neither is the being our self-esteem, our pride, and vanities that fluctuate and change like the wind. Our education, titles, diplomas, which we wield as intellectual arsenal to substantiate and defend our pride, does not constitute our true self either. Our book knowledge really accounts for nothing when confronting the fundamental problem 
of psychological and spiritual transformation. The being is universal, cosmic. There is no individuality there in the sense of me, myself, I. Within the being is the superconscious understanding of all things in the eternal present, beyond the projections of our worries, fears, preoccupations, ambitions, and terrestrial baggage. By learning to access the divine potential and presence of divinity, known in Arabic as Hudur, we awaken to our genuine self-awareness, Muhadara, by learning to pay attention here and now, we discover the very obstacles to our own development. Through recognizing the conditions and faults of our own mind, we learn to become truly transformative in a very practical sense. In this awareness, we do not simply wish for a better state of humanity, but actualize it here and now, for the betterment of others. This is something we can practically manage and see its results. Therefore, this work is not something ambiguous, not vague. It is not suppositional. It is concrete, factual. For as Samael on Vior wrote, Gnosis has lived upon facts, withers away in abstractions, and is difficult to find even in the noblest of thoughts. Through this work, we can see the clear effect of our actions upon others within our daily life, either to our benefit or detriment. There is no need to believe in spirituality. Some vain utopia that someday things will get better. Instead, we learn to produce positive results for the happiness of others, serving divinity in every thought, word, and deed. As we're going to explain in this lecture on divine love, faith is conscious knowledge. It is experience born from energy and action. It is what we know. To believe in something is really useless. To not believe in something is also useless. To invest our mental or emotional energy into a concept does not change the daily reality of our suffering. It does not help us acquire cognizance of the purpose of life. We may really believe in Jesus, Buddha, or Muhammad with our hearts. Yet we continue to feed anger, resentment, and all the degenerate qualities of the psyche that cause harm. We use the very energy that can give birth to the soul for our defects. To believe or not believe in tradition, guru, shaikh, is mistaken. Because it does not address how to consciously control the energies that can awaken our perception so that we do not need to believe but can seriously know 
we must not wash our hands in justification as Pilate allowed Jesus to be crucified whereby he stated, I am innocent of this man's blood. All of us have Pilate inside, washing our hands clean of culpability, while in truth, we allow our most destructive habits to crucify divinity within our hearts. It is also not in believing in some prophet or deity that we will be saved. As the Apostle James taught, faith without works is dead. Believing in Prophet Muhammad with our intellect or heart as a concept or emotional quality will not redeem the soul, the consciousness. To have genuine faith in a tradition is to know from experience the principles that it contains. So if we have consciousness of what Muhammad taught, what the prophets taught, and if we practice their teachings, we will develop the consciousness thoroughly. But belief is another thing. To think something is true or not is irrelevant. Attending a church, mosque, or synagogue does not make one spiritual. Having direct experience of divinity does. Being part of a physical group is insufficient for objective knowledge. We need practical and transformative knowledge applied to daily living. But not only that, we need to apply what we learn. Therefore, the tradition we study here is filled with innumerable practices geared to awaken the consciousness. But if we just read the knowledge and don't apply it, we won't have real faith. We'll be stuck in belief. Many people toss the term divine love around in so-called spiritual circles and have many concepts about it. All of this is very sentimental, like Hallmark cards. Many people have a lot of ideas about what love is and can write very beautifully and convincingly about it. Yet if we go very deep within meditation and awaken our consciousness within the superior worlds of nature, which we access when we dream, we will find that people write about love in accordance with their psychological conditioning, self-esteem, fears, and insecurities. Genuine love is selfless. There is no ego, no I present. Love only gives of itself for others without any concern for how one appears, one's self-image. This is essential in our study of self-knowledge, as especially presented within Sufism, because it is the universal sense of being, wujud, that connects us with all beings. This is most important within the perfect matrimony, the sexual union of two beings, one who loves more and the other who loves better. Sexuality is the full manifestation, inspiration, an expression of Allah, divinity. Sexual union is the science of alchemy, Allah, kimia, the chemistry of God. 
In love, there is no concept of reasoning. Love simply is. A true marriage before divinity, therefore, is between husband and wife when man and woman sexually unite. Paperwork means nothing. In most cases, marriage papers constitute legalized prostitution and have nothing to do with love. Marriage exists when a man unites with a woman in sex. This is a literal, psychic, and spiritual communion of souls. The Sufi poets have always utilized sexual and erotic language to describe the soul's unification with the divine. Yet few people realize that this language is also literal. That when husband and wife connect sexually, they become a terrifically divine being, capable of creating life. If the couple knows how to conserve the sexual energy and not expel it, they remain in Eden, a Hebrew word for bliss. Their love remains intact, pure, and chaste. If the couple is sensual, carnal, and animalistic, they will be kicked out of paradise. As Christ spoke through the mouth of Jesus before Abraham was, I am. Only divinity can say this word, I am. But when a married couple unites out of selflessness, compassion, and true remembrance of divinity, then the being, Allah, is fully manifested there. Mansur al-Halaj, the great Sufi master, once stated, An al-Haq, or I am the truth, in Arabic. This got him in trouble with the Orthodox authorities, who were scandalized that a terrestrial person would refer to himself with one of the sacred names of Allah. It is the equivalent of saying, I am God. Jesus said the same thing and was thereafter crucified. What occurred in both cases was that divinity, whether named Jehovah, Christ, or Allah, manifested within those initiates. Both Jesus and Al-Halaj became vehicles of divine love and being and had reached the heights of mastery through working in the perfect matrimony and the signs of alchemy. Through sexual union, Jesus and Mansur could develop their complete divine potential. Sadly, Mansur was tortured and executed. However, like Jesus, he was completely free of ego and conditioning before his physical death, which is why his poetry and light were intense during his final hours. Only the being can say, I am. The being is divine love, the intelligence of all creation, of all the cosmos. But we can become vehicles of Allah when working in alchemy, the chemistry of God, which is the perfect matrimony. This is how we can fortify compassion and eliminate many defects from our nature so that our consciousness irradiates 
with selflessness and abundance. The Sufi Christian mystic poet known as Khalil Gibran spoke beautifully about the sexual nature of divine love in his book, The Prophet. Even the name of this poet deserves reflection since Hillel in Hebrew means praised or glorified one, a reference to the star of dawn, Lucifer, the sexual potency. Gibran reminds us of the rune Gibur, the swastika or cross in motion, emblem of sexual alchemy, whereby the energies of sex inflame and illuminate the chakras of the body, causing them to spin as the swastika in movement. The cross is also a sexual symbol representing the vertical phallus and the horizontal uterus. This forms Gibur, the strength and chastity of God, known as Aun in Hebrew. Gibur Aun Gibran Gibron. The following quotation is from the chapter on love. I will provide some comments in between the lines to provide understanding, since this poet is a great Kabbalist and psychologist of the Sufi tradition. Then said Almitra, speak to us of conscious love. And he, Al-Mustafa, the chosen and beloved of Allah, raised his head and looked upon the people, and there fell a great stillness upon them. And with a great voice he said, When love... Gedullah, the spirit, the innermost, beckons to you, follow him. Though his ways are hard and steep, through the path of the spinal column, the reed or staff of initiation, and when his solar wings that open the caduceus of Mercury enfold you, yield to him. Though the sword of Kundalini hidden among his pinions may wound you, your ego. And when he speaks to you, believe in him. Though his voice, the voice of the silence, may shatter your egotistical dreams as the north wind lays waste the garden. For even as love, Gedullah, the spirit, the innermost, crowns you with a crown of life, Keter, the father, You can see Revelation chapter 2, verses 10, specifically. For even as love crowns you, so shall he crucify you through initiation. Even as he is for your growth, so is he for your pruning, meaning of your inner tyrant, your egos, from Isaiah chapter 25, verse 5. Even as he ascends to your height of the tree of life, and caresses your tenderest branches that quiver in the sun, the solo logos, Keter, Chokmah, Binah, and Kavah. So shall he descend to your roots at the tree of Zakum, the tree of death in Islam, the Klipot of Kabbalah, the inferior worlds. So shall he descend to your roots and shake them in their clinging to the earth, Malkut. Like sheaves of corn, he gathers you into himself. 
meaning plants which assimilate the solar Christic force. He strives to unite all the diverse parts of the being to achieve Tawhid, unity of God. He threshes you to make you naked. He threshes you, meaning providing you ordeals, to make you naked, innocent, like Adam and Eve before the fall. He sifts you to free you from your husks. He goes, klipot, shells. He grinds you to whiteness, to the wheel of karma. He kneads you until you are pliant in contemplation and meditation. And then he assigns you to his sacred fire, the kundalini awakened through the perfect matrimony, that you may become sacred bread for God's sacred feast. The sacred initiations within the temples of the superior worlds. All things, all these things shall love Gedullah, the spirit, the innermost, do unto you, that you may know the secrets of your heart, and in that knowledge become a fragment of life's heart. The universal, abstract, absolute space, the spirit of life free in its movement. But if in your fear you would seek only love's peace and love's pleasure, then it is better for you that you cover your nakedness, your shame born from fornication, as Adam and Eve were after the fall, and pass out of love's threshing floor, the ordeals of a matrimony and of initiation, into the seasonless world where you shall laugh, but not all of your laughter, and weep, but not all of your tears. Love, Gedullah, the spirit, the innermost, gives naught but itself and takes naught but from itself. Love, Gedullah, the innermost, possesses not, nor would it be possessed. For love is sufficient unto love. For my God is God, Eliel. When you love, you should not say, God is in my heart, but rather I am in the heart of God, the absolute, abstract space, Allah. And think not you can direct the course of love, the straight path of the bodhisattvas. For love, if it finds you worthy, directs your course. Love, Gedullah, the spirit, the innermost, has no desire but to fulfill itself. But if you love consciously and must needs have desires, let these be your desires. To melt and be like a running brook that sings its melody to the night, the Divine Mother's space. To know the pain of too much tenderness. To be wounded by your own understanding of love. And to bleed willingly and joyfully. To die to the animal ego with happiness and contentment. To wake at dawn for runes, meditation, and esoteric exercises. With a winged heart or the longing to know divinity. And give thanks for another day of loving through a perfect matrimony. To rest at the noon hour and meditate love's ecstasy. To return home at eventide with gratitude. And then to sleep with a prayer for the beloved Allah, the divine, in your heart. And a song of praise upon your lips.
To obtain the supreme heights of initiation, we must work in a matrimony, which is the path of sacrifice, the cross. This is how our inner spirit, Gedullah, the innermost, receives powers and riches and glories through the work of his human soul or bodhisattva. A true matrimony is one born of selflessness. There is no desire that says, I want, I crave, I need. Love does not demand ultimatums of the other. Conscious love only knows how to provide for the beloved and is willing to provide even the last drop of his or her blood for one's partner. This is the type of consciousness between Jesus and Mary Magdalene. Rama and Krishna, Muhammad and Aisha, and other sacred matrimonies. So if we're married, we aspire to those heights of spirituality, because most of us are selfish. Yet through training, this can change. It is easily obtainable when there is some degree of love and comprehension between the couple. Since love grows, the more it is nourished and fed and the more our animal ego desires and conditions are annihilated. So we previously discussed the demarcations of instruction as given within religious traditions, specifically within Sufism. Religion can be divided into three classes or categories of instruction and practice, whether introductory, intermediate, or advanced, otherwise classified as exoteric, mesoteric, and esoteric. The Sufis denominate the first level of teaching as Sharia, which in spiritual studies does not pertain to the punitive or repressive laws of Muslim countries, but pertains to our conscious psychological discipline that we engage with to curtail negative thinking, negative feeling, and negative action. Likewise, we talked about tariqah, the intermediate or mesoteric aspect of religion. Tariqah simply means path. It is a way that we follow in practice, a path that winds from oasis to oasis within the desert of our life the wasteland of initiation. It is our practical work that we fulfill day by day, moment by moment, for the benefit of others. Marifa means knowledge and is the Arabic word for gnosis. We also have hakika, which is the truth. Marifa and hakika can be described as two aspects of the same dynamic. Since for the truth to be realized, we must have knowledge. Expedient methods for transforming the psyche. And to have knowledge, we must comprehend and realize. Buddhism divides these three categories as the Shravakayana, Mahayana, and Tantrayana, or the introductory, greater, and supreme vehicles. Shravakas are those who listen to the spiritual teachings for the first time. 
Such persons practice spirituality for their own well-being. But with the Mahayana, or greater vehicle, one works less for oneself and more for others. In Tantrayana, one works solely for all sentient beings. So it's the same in the Sufi model. And Sharia, the practitioners work to stop their own suffering and to cease harming others because such actions produce harm within them. In the path of Tariqa, that of divine love, we work on ourselves for the benefit of others. We can say that the last two degrees or trainings of Sufism, Marifa, knowledge, and Hakika, truth, are combined as one and constitute the highest aspect of any teaching, the most expedient methods of transformation, and also the highest levels of understanding and knowledge. So these trainings entail their own forms of discipline in varying degrees. Sharia is ethical discipline, mind training, whereby we comprehend and eliminate defects so that we don't harm ourselves. We are taught to not lie, to not steal, to not commit fornication and adultery, to not ingest intoxicants or drugs, alcohol, etc. We avoid taking in elements that are contrary to our spiritual work. We clean the temple of our body, heart, and mind so that the being can officiate. We learn not to kill, not only physically, but with speech. When we speak sarcastically and humiliate our neighbor, we make blood rush to his face. This is a form of bloodshed and killing, whereby we are killing a person's self-image. This is wrong. All religions teach us against negative behaviors of this type. For as Prophet Muhammad taught, the strongest among you is he who controls his anger. Each religion has its own set of commandments that it gives. Again, these laws are not punitive. Do this or be punished. That is something very superficial and does not produce real development in the soul. Following external laws is one thing, but being a law unto oneself is another. This does not indicate that we can do whatever we want, but that we follow the internal law of divinity, which is harmony, peace, and health. We simply depend on no one to do this work, only the being. So this training is known as ethics. Ethics is different from morality. What is moral in one country is immoral in another. Simply look at the differences between North America and the Middle East. Ethics is knowing how to act appropriately for the benefit of others in any circumstance. Compassion is within all religions, all ethical disciplines, especially Islam. The punishments for adulterers and fornicators in Surah al-Nur, Surah of the Light, within the Quran, for example, is a symbol of how to work against the ego. Flagellation and the removal of thieves' hands is a representation of what we must do to our own ego. Whereas Jesus taught us, 
If your left eye offend you, pluck it out, lest your whole body be dragged into hell. By denying our ego, by waging a holy war against our desires, defects, vices, etc., we generate light. So scripture is written in symbolic language for the consciousness. If people take these punishments literally and physically harm others, this is something else, indifferent. The Quran has many allegorical verses which we need Kabbalah, alchemy, and intuition to understand, as indicated in the following surah, Al-Imran, verse 7. It is he who is sent down to you, O Muhammad, the book. In it are verses that are literal. They are the foundation of the book, and others allegorical. As for those in whose hearts is deviation from truth, they will follow that of it which is literal, seeking discord and making an interpretation suitable to them. And no one knows its true interpretation except Allah. But those firm in knowledge, Marifah, Alchemy, and Kabbalah, say, we believe in it. All of it is from our Lord. And no one will be reminded except those of understanding. Bina, intelligence, and Kabbalah. The other two degrees of these trainings are based on Sharia, the law, and mutually support each other. If one has no ethical discipline, one cannot follow the path, tariqah, to achieve understanding and knowledge, marifah, of the truth, hakikah. All three trainings integrate and constitute three aspects of one whole. However, the path is presented in these degrees due to the capabilities, dispositions, and needs of their practitioners. Marifah is sexual knowledge, alchemy, known as Tantra in the East, the principle of Tantrayana. A matrimony is not only the basis of physical life, but spiritual life as well. When we work in a marriage, we can harness the most potent energies of the universe for the development and awakening of the consciousness. The Sufis use erotic language to describe union with God, whereby the soul is lost in the ocean of love. When a couple is sexually united, husband and wife lose their identities and become lost within the ocean of the creative sexual energy. There is no me, myself, within two practitioners of sexual magic who deny their egos, who learn to annihilate egotistical desire through fana in Arabic. And this is in order to be, to subsist through baka in Arabic within the creator, al-Khaliq. Who is it that creates in us the sexual energy, the power of divinity? But how we create depends upon whether we follow divine love and will or our own egotism and desires. While the Sufis used clear, erotic language to describe the path of alchemy, many people do not realize that this love is also physical, literal. Divine love is manifested 
through husband and wife in sexual cooperation, in sexual magic or alchemy. This is the power of Bakara, the sacred cow, a symbol of the Divine Mother in Hinduism. She is the serpentine power of Kundalini that the Tantric practitioners work with. Therefore, with great respect and veneration, Muhammad became the vehicle for transmitting the second surah of the Quran, the cow, or heifer, the longest surah of the Quran. The Quran means the recitation, the mantralization of the sacred verb. The power of speech esoterically refers to the power of the bull or cow. When couples pronounce mantras in sexual union, they are learning to unite with divinity completely. To remove the conditioning of the psyche and the mind. To liberate the soul from conditioning through the power of love. To understand the trainings of Sufism, we can refer to the Sufi master Ibn Arabi. He explained that in the path of Sharia, yours is yours and mine is mine. That which belongs to you is yours. That which belongs to me is mine. There's a sense of separation whereby we are working individually for our own spiritual benefit and goals. In the path of Tariqah, mine is yours and yours is mine. There is a shift of perspective whereby we focus on the spiritual community and the benefit of others. There is a degree of selflessness and compassion present whereby we can help one another in a genuine sense without major interferences from our egos, nafs, or defects. Regarding Marifa, knowledge, Ibn Arabi states that nothing belongs to you or me. In truth, we don't own anything. All abundance belongs to divinity. Regarding Hakikah, the truth, Ibn Arabi stated, there is no you or me. Meaning, there is only God, divinity, the being, Allah. Remember when we said earlier that wherever your sense of self is, that is hell. Wherever you aren't, that is heaven. There is no egotism, self, or sense of I within the being, as we presently know in ourselves. The being is as different and incompatible to the mind as oil is to water. So divinity, the real being, is the absolute abstract space, the emptiness of enlightened cognizance, the pure light of Adi Buddha, Ain Sof Or and Kabbalah, which to our present sight is darkness, but for the self-realized masters is the uncreated light of the unknowable divine. This divinity is selfless, but constitutes the true universal individuality, or better said, supra-individuality, of any master who learns to incarnate and develop that force in themselves, so that there is no self, only the truth, al-haq, as proclaimed through Mansur al-Halaj. Divinity is one and absolute, as proclaimed through the Muslim shahida or testimony of faith, there is no God but God. Anyone who wants to comprehend divinity 
must fulfill the three trainings. Again, these are not something rigid and dogmatic. These are practical steps. We must begin where we are at, with Sharia, ethical discipline. Since we have a lot of selfishness and desires that keep us from knowing divinity. As we develop light, we can then provide that light of compassion for others in the path of Tariqah. By serving others completely, we follow Jesus, Buddha, Krishna, Moses, Muhammad, on the path of Marifah and Hakikah, knowledge and truth. In Sharia, we serve divinity in ourselves. In Tariqah, we serve divinity in others. In Marifah and Hakikah, there is only divinity everywhere and within ourselves. There is no I, but only the awakened state of consciousness free of conditions. In the path of self-knowledge, we deeply study what in Gnosticism is called the three brains. These are three centers of psychological, energetic, spiritual, and physiological activity. The term brain in Gnostic studies does not simply pertain to the physical matter within our skull. But a brain, esoterically speaking, is a machine that processes certain psychological states or qualities. It's a type of mechanism. We have an intellectual brain, which is where we process thought, mind, concepts, reasoning, ideas, theses and antitheses and hopefully synthesis. With the emotional brain, we process sentiment, like, dislike, feeling, hope, longing, fear, etc. It pertains not only to just those psychological states, but to our heart and its nervous systems. The heart is a very sensitive organ and has intuitive capacities that are unlocked through the science of alchemy. We have a third brain all throughout our spinal column, the brain of action which is divided into three principles, dynamics, or qualities. We have the center of movement at the top of the spine, whereby we process all our movements in our body. We have the instinctual center relating to the base of the spine, relating to our impulses, will, actions, desires. The most potent center pertaining to the spinal column is sexual. The sexual center or sexual organs. The sexual energy is the most potent force we carry within our body. The third brain can therefore be synthesized as the motor instinctive sexual brain. Why discuss the three brains in relation to Sufism and divine love? Because to love the divine, we must become fully conscious of all these aspects of ourselves and to give everything to God through renouncing negative habits and psychological states, whether through thought, feeling, or impulse. We can only learn to transform our psyche when we become conscious of our three brains. We become conscious of divinity, likewise, through the management of these parts of our body and psyche. The three brains are a machine, a car, that we must learn to handle and drive if we want to safely arrive at our spiritual destination. Dreams of driving a car can symbolize how we use the mind, heart, and body, appropriately or inappropriately. See how you drive in your dreams to know how you're doing.
Jesus taught us about the three brains in the Gospels when a Jewish Pharisee tried to discredit the master before the public. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? Jesus said, Thou shalt love thy God, or the Lord thy God, with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. From the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 to 27. The heart is the emotional brain. The soul is willpower. The human consciousness beyond thought, feeling, and bodily sensation. This will must dominate our thinking, feeling, and action. Our human consciousness or willpower is mostly conditioned by nafs, egos. But there remains a free portion of this consciousness, which we call the essence, that must liberate the conditioned consciousness, as we explained previously. We must also love God with all of our strength, meaning all our vitality or sexual energy. When we wake in the morning, we are rejuvenated by our vital energies, renewed through the process of physical sleep. This depends upon how we use the sexual force, because if we squander this energy, we will become weak, mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Sexual energy gives us life. This is easy to see physically. The physical birth of a child is contingent upon the union of man and woman. By using the virile force, the sexual energy, husband and wife can create a human being. Likewise, the spiritual human being can be created in us through that same energy. We would not be here if it weren't for the creative force, the power of the Holy Spirit, as denominated by the Christians. It's interesting that the word or root word for virility is viria, warrior someone who is spiritually and physically strong. Likewise, virtue is born from virility. How we use our sexual, emotional, mental, volitional, and conscious energy can grant us union with divinity, if we know how. Therefore, the gospel states, love thy God with all thy strength. By conquering the sexual force, we become virya, Warriors, Mujahideen, strivers in spiritual warfare as taught within the Muslim tradition. This is a war against the ego and desire, against our nafs, defects. Through transforming the sexual energy within us and giving it to divinity, we acquire divine virtues and develop self-knowledge. By working with the sexual energy, we develop genuine faith since this energy awakens consciousness and gives us direct knowledge of the mysteries of life and death. This is the science of transmutation from the prefix trans to carry over, transport, and mutation, mutate, to change dense material forms into energy, into spiritual force. Transmutation is the alchemical science of transforming our conditioned psyche into liberated consciousness by transmuting the seminal matter or waters 
into cognizance and light. We've included in this image the famous symbol of Islam, which is the crescent moon and the star of Venus, the star of love. We have juxtaposed with this image the assumption of Mary, who is standing on a moon with her head crowned with 12 stars. The power of the warrior, the virya, born from one's virility, is in itself symbolized by the crescent moon. In Kabbalah, the moon relates to the sphere of Yasod, the second sphere from the bottom of the tree of life. Yasod means foundation and is constituted by our sexual energy. It is the foundation of spiritual life. A tree of life is literally our spine, and Yasod is the sexual organs. Since without our spine, we would be invalids, incapable of functioning in life in a complete sense, and not without special assistance. We can likewise transpose the image of the tree of life on a human being, where the first trinity relates to the head, the second trinity to the heart, and the lower trinity to the sexual organs and thighs of the human being. This diagram relates to the three brains in many interesting ways. With the moon, we think of lunar cycles, mechanicity, and forces in nature, as well as repetition. The moon is also a symbol of the mechanicity of the mind, the ego, the nafs. Our psyche we can say, is a moon. Meaning, our habits are very ingrained. Whether we like to smoke or drink, to engage with specific types of conversations or discussions, we are habituated and fixed on certain behaviors due to the sleep of our consciousness. These habits and ways of being, some harmful, some not, constitute the conditioning of our psyche. They are mechanical and lunar not belonging to the physical moon, but to our egotistical psychology. The mind is a moon. It only knows how to engage with its own conditions and desires. But of course, in this image, we have something very beautiful. The star of Venus above the crescent moon relates to love. Venus is the goddess Freya among the Nordics, which is where we get the word Friday, the holiest day of the week for Muslims. Likewise, sundown for Jews who celebrate the Sabbath, or Saturn Day, Saturday. This Freya, this Venus Aphrodite, this goddess of love, is the Hindu goddess Kundalini. She is the Divine Mother, the feminine aspect of our inner divinity. As we mentioned the Hebrew word Elohim, El is masculine, God. Eloah is feminine, goddess. And Elohim, with Yod and Mem added to the end of Eloah, is gods and goddesses. Jehovah, or Yah-Chava. Yah is the Divine Father, Chava is the Divine Mother. The Divine Mother is essential for our spiritual work, whom we must comprehend and experience very deeply to achieve self-knowledge. She is the power that can help free us from our defects. She destroys our defects after we have comprehended them completely in meditation. She liberates the soul from conditioning through wielding the powers of the moon, the sexual energy. She is the sacred heifer, the cow, al-Baqarah, immortalized through the longest surah of the Qur'an. Surah al-Baqarah relates how the leg of a heifer has the power of resuscitating the dead to bring them to life. 
This is highly symbolic, of course. She also transforms the moon of our mind into the sun of understanding. She is Mary, Miriam in Hebrew, which literally means to raise. She raises us from spiritual death into the heights of spirituality. She is the energies that rise from the moon of our body, the sexual organs of Yasod, up the spine to the brain to produce the halo of the saints. In sacred art, we often see the prophets and saints with halos like the sun because they've transformed the lunar energies of sex into the solar energies of the Christ force to saturate their minds completely with that power. This is the Kundalini of Hindustan. The illumination of the mind relates to the mysteries of Halloween. Hallowed evening. For this holiday, we take the pumpkin gourd mentioned in the book of Jonah, clean out the muck, the guts, and filthiness of the gourd itself. This represents how we must purify the filthiness of the mind. This is to place a candle, the light of understanding, inside that mind to illuminate it. This is how our evening, our darkness, is hallowed and enlightened. But first you must go through all the visitors at the doorstep, dressed as ghouls and goblins, our own defects or nafs who ask us, trick or treat. In reality, you don't want to be tricked by your own mind, but to treat yourself to the divine mysteries. Miriam is the one who cleans our mind, our gourd. She is the one who gives us faith. And faith is a solar force. This solar force is born from our seminal waters, the waters of sex, the sexual matter, from which the energies rise within our spine to our mind. The Hebrew word for water is ma'im, relating to miriam. Since if you add the letter R, rosh in Hebrew, to ma'im, you spell miriam. The word believer in Islam is al-mumin. The plural form is al-muminin. The resemblance of this term to ma'im, water, is striking. Since the true believer works with the power of Yasod, the seminal waters. This is how we generate faith. Faith is a force that guides us when we work with Miriam, our Divine Mother, to transform the moon into a sun. To be a true Muslim or believer is to be through the power of love. To be through leave, love, the libido. You see this hidden in the symbol on the top of every mosque? Very cryptic, but clear when you know alchemy and Kabbalah. We must be through the power of love, to be conscious, to transform all our mechanicity into love, into consciousness. All conditionality must be transmuted into liberated consciousness. Everything must be transformed and given to divinity. This is how we awaken and know divinity for ourselves, developing conscious knowledge, real faith. The term belief, as it is used now, has no meaning or purpose in esotericism. To think or feel something is true does not signify consciousness of that given thing. Therefore, we like to use the term faith in this tradition to be clear about our meaning which is energy and will applied to action. The following is from The Dayspring of Youth by Master Moria. 
Here we think a note upon faith should be of interest. Initiates say that its meaning has been misunderstood. Faith, as the world uses it, possesses no spiritual nature. Though in the secondary system, the work with sexual energy, it means power and energy applied to action. All success in yoga, religion, comes from this application. For the true quality of faith is a solar force that illumines the mind and attracts to it atoms of power and energy. More human wrecks have resulted from this misconception of this quality than man realizes. People just sit on their couch and think that by believing in divinity, everything will be fine. One must learn to be conscious through the libido, the creative power of Yasod, to apply it consciously. This is how we submit to God, perform Islam, submission. Jesus provided the parable of the mustard seed, which is small, but has the potential to become a great tree. All that is possible for the fruition or development of a giant tree, a tree of life, which is within the seed. Also, we are in a state of potentiality within our sexual seed, the sperm or ovum, to become a complete spiritual being who are not influenced by the moon, by mechanicity. That seed can only develop when masculine and feminine matter are united, when the virile force of man and woman are combined. This will help to generate consciousness and solar faith. The moon can therefore become a sun, a solar entity. The following again is from The Dayspring of Youth by Master Moria. When Jesus used this word in the sentence, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, he meant that one could work miracles if one possessed the atomic energy contained within a mustard seed. But in this world of illusion, this is reversed. And the weak man sits still and believes that all will be applied to him if he has faith. It is not a force that should only be applied to religious belief. It is the power of the innermost, the divine Allah, working through the densities of our bodies. And the more we respond to it, the greater will be our powers. All our psychological, emotional, psychic, spiritual, and physical action is generated by the seed, the seminal matter. If we learn to take that force and transform the seed into Christic energy, we can give birth to the purified soul. Sex is the power of religion and divine life. Therefore, Samael and Vior wrote in The Perfect Matrimony, it so happens that people think that belonging to this or that faith, to such and such religion, or to one and another sect, that they are already saved. Naturally, this is false. A seed never germinates because of what a person believes or stops believing. An insect is never born because of what a human being thinks or stops thinking. A man is never born from the parchment of theory. This subject matter is sexual, and in this the angel is no exception. This is the meaning of the second birth. To be born again. As Jesus taught to Nicodemus, we must be born again of water and spirit. People think that one simply gets baptized by physical water and then believes in Jesus and then one is done. He said, that which is born of flesh through the common sexual act is flesh. 
A physical child is born from the animal orgasm, this sexual act culminating with seminal emission. But that which is born of the spirit through the sexual act with seminal retention of the waters is spirit. If the couple knows how to conserve that water, that energy, and redirect it, they can give birth to the awakened consciousness and eliminate defects. This is how the moon is transformed into a sun. This is the path of the cross, the vertical phallus joined to the horizontal uterus. It is upon this cross or within this crucible that we can die to our defects, that we can be cleansed by the fire of Christ, the fire of sex, ignited through divine love. When the couple unites, the fire ignites, inflames the heart, the mind, the psyche, and provides the capacity to unite with divinity, to create spiritual life. The Muslims, of course, use different symbols for their religion, the crescent moon and the star of Venus. But the same alchemical meaning is there. Ritual cleansing with water, wudu, is a common preparatory act before performing salat, daily prayer. This signifies that the initiate is transmuting their sexual energies to awaken the capacities of the heart. Water is a prominent symbol in many world cosmogenies, particularly the book of Genesis, the Bible, and the Quran. The creation of the earth and its emergence from the seas of creation as sold in Genesis is allegorical. It represents the birth of the soul. New vehicles that the soul can inhabit as it rises upon the tree of life. Each sufferer represents a new land that we must conquer, that we must create within ourselves through alchemy. The waters symbolize the power to create, to generate. Within us, our capacity to create physical and spiritual life resides in our waters. It is the source of pleasure, redemption, and the elevation of the soul to paradise. As the Quran teaches us in Surah Al-Waqiyah, the inevitable, about the fate of those who transmute their waters. In Gardens of Pleasure, a large company of the former peoples and a few of the later peoples on thrones woven with adornment or ornament, the solar bodies or garments of reverence, reclining on them, facing each other. There will circulate among them young boys made eternal with vessels, pitchers, and a cup of wine of transmuted sexual energy, kundalini, from a flowing spring of yasod. No headache, suffering, will they have therefrom, nor will they be intoxicated with fornication and adultery and fruit of what they select from the tree of life and the meat of fall from whatever they desire. And for them are fair women, the nirvanis, with large beautiful eyes, the likenesses of pearls well protected as a reward for what they used to do for being chaste. They will not hear therein ill, fornicating speech or commission of sin lustful desire. Only a saying, peace, peace. The companions of the right. What are the companions of the right? 
They will be among lot trees with thorns removed, and banana trees layered with fruit, and shade extended and water of transmuted sexual energy, poured out and fruit abundant and varied, neither limited to season nor forbidden, as the fruits of the tree of knowledge were forbidden, and upon beds raised high, wherein the sexual act is treated with respect. Indeed, we have produced the woman of paradise and a new creation, and made them virgins, meaning Venus Uranias or Urania Venuses, female initiates, devoted to their husbands and of equal age. For the companions of the right, who are a company of the former peoples, and a company of later peoples. Jalaluddin Muhammad Rumi was a famous Sufi poet and mystic, a profound Kabbalist and alchemist, who taught in his writings the path of yoking the waters through Tantra or Marifa. An example of this initiatic work is in the following cryptic postulation from Hidden Music. From the heart of lovers, blood flows like a vast river. Our body is the windmill, and love the water. Without water, the mill cannot turn. Marifa, or Tantrism, teaches that when a couple is engaged in sexual union, the different energies or seminal waters of the divine are active in the body. The sexual force then circulates throughout the physicality and psyche as well. There is a profound movement of forces to the chakras, or energetic centers of the spinal medulla. The chakras rotate positively like the swastika when the couple is chaste and pure, avoiding animality in the sexual act. The body has seven main mills, seven main chakras, which are well documented in Hinduism and within Sufism as a lataifa sita, the seven vortexes or centers of spiritual and psychic power. These are the seven churches of the book of Revelation. These centers of power spin as the couple controls their breathing, their ruach, so that the sexual energy rises within the spine. When breathing is erratic and impassioned during the sexual act, the sexual energy flows outward and results in the orgasm. Remember that if there is no water, the mill cannot turn. If you ejaculate the waters, those chakras or mills cannot spin, but will, will remain still. Those chakras grant powers and spiritual abilities such as clairvoyance, clairaudience, telepathy, omniscience, etc. So if they are inactive, then the consciousness lacks force and energy to be awakened. But when the breath is harnessed through sacred mantras and vocal remembrance of, of Allah in sexual magic, that energy rises inward and upward to the brain and then to the heart. Again, we emphasize that the chakras can only spin when there is water, transmuted sexual energy within them, to circulate and provide energetic movement. Hence, the importance of sexual purity within every religion, especially Sufism. Al-Kushari also provides an interesting explanation of the esoteric symbolism of water, and the path of love in his Risalah, Principles of Sufism. Some say that Hub, love, is a name for purity of affection because the Bedouins, when speaking of the pure whiteness and regularity of someone's teeth, 
use the expression Chabab al-Aznan. So why purity of teeth? In Kabbalah, the mouth signifies Da'at, Marifah, sexual knowledge. To be pure in speech is to handle the sexual energy wisely. Since sex and the throat connect to the spine. Everyone knows that adolescent boys acquire deep voices due to puberty. And likewise, adolescent girls develop their voice further due to the maturation of the sexual organs and the development of the hormones. Al-Koshari continues to explain the nature of divine eroticism in water. Others say that since Hubab is a word for the excess water that results from a heavy rain, Machaba came to mean the heart's boiling and stirring with the thirst and excitement of meeting the beloved. Still others say that the word is derived from Chabab al-Ma, the greater part of a body of water, because love is the object of most of the heart's concerns. Who is the beloved? It is the being. Yet a husband finds the being present in his wife, and vice versa. In Christian terms, every man views his wife as the Divine Mother, Miriam, while every woman views her husband as the Divine Father, Joseph. Here the waters overflow and saturate the heart when the couple knows how to conserve those forces, raising them from sex to the brain and then to the heart. You can see that the Sufis use a sexual and erotic language for describing union with God, precisely because union with God occurs in the sexual act. Sadly, many people ignore this fact and come up with many superficial interpretations of the Sufi writings that ignore the necessity of sexual magic. And sadly, people only see sexuality as something filthy and disgusting, to be indulged in or repressed, even though sexual magic serves a much more profound function than animal pleasure. As Rumi explained to his disciples regarding alchemy, if in thirst you drink water from a cup, you see Allah in it. Those who are not in love with Allah will see only their own faces in it. The cup is the Holy Grail, the feminine sexual organs, within which is filled the waters or mana of the desert, the creative energies that will arouse and satisfy our spiritual thirst. In relation to this topic, Iranian mythology speaks of the cup of Jamshid, a holy grail filled with a divine elixir that grants the soul the capacity to perceive the seventh heavens, the superior dimensions of the tree of life, as well as the seven chakras of the spinal mandula. The word Jamshid is an interesting acrostic. Jam signifies a gathering together, which is sexual. For husband and wife to be close to each other signifies intimacy, closeness, a gathering together. The cup or yoni is also the sacred emblem of Christianity in which the solar initiates gather around. In the past, solar initiates would gather within the temples or mosques to celebrate the path of the Lord through prayer and ritual, which is the general etymological significance of the word gathering. The word church in Greek, ecclesia, refers to a gathering place that belongs to divinity, Kyriakos, the Lord. A church in esotericism is where the creative energies congregate within the spine. As with the seven churches or fully developed chakras, 
of the book of Revelation. There are alchemical meanings hidden within the Arabic language. Shid reminds us of Shahid, witness. Therefore, Jamshid is the cup of gathering and witnessing. Since none can witness or experience divinity without the sacred yoni, without working with the creative waters of life to awaken the powers of the spine and the mind. Al-Kushari explains in Principles of Sufism. The expression Jam and Tafrika or Farq is often used by the Sufis. Abu Ali al-Dakak used to say, Separation is what you are given a share in. Gathering is what is removed from your power. All of us are separated from our being because of the original sin, lust. All of us fornicated and expelled ourselves from Eden, bliss. This occurred precisely because in the past we did not respect sexuality or transmutation. Due to our own will, we separated ourselves from divinity. Gathering is a term used to signify how one approaches divinity through the will of divinity. The disparate parts of the soul, once fractured and conditioned by ego, nafs, become united and unified and integrated by divine decree. Through comprehending, judging, and annihilating the shells or defects that condition consciousness, the being achieves tawhid, unity within our psyche. And what higher way exists to reach divinity, according to the Sufis, than the sacrament of sexuality, a marriage, whereby the being descends and helps us to tame the fires of love. Through the fire of love, the egos are annihilated completely. Al-Kushari explains the alchemical meanings given by his teacher, Abu Ali al-Dakak. His meaning was that whatever pertains to servanthood, submission to divinity and sexual magic, is attributed to the servant, the alchemist. Whatever is linked to the conditions of being human, as a fornicator, is a form of farq, the separation between worshipper and worshipped. Because through the orgasm, we separate ourselves from the worshipped, the divine. Whatever proceeds from the truth, al-haq, haqiqa, the realizations born from marifa, transmutation, the generation of spiritual meaning and experience, since every true spiritual experience is born from the genesiatic waters, the gifts of grace is a form of gathering, jam, the coming together of worshipper and worshipped. Therefore, people who are filled with a lot of sexual passion and animal desire will obviously look at the sexual act, the waters, as something carnal, bestial, as Rumi indicated. They see their own faces in it. They separate themselves more and more from divinity through fornication. Yet if the couple works to eliminate desire, egotism, nafs, from the psyche, to deny, comprehend, and annihilate lust, then the sexual act becomes something pure and holy, through which the being, the divine, is present. Through scientific chastity, marifa, the being gathers us in worship of his presence, hudur, within the flames of love.
This is the meaning of the Sufi technical terms awe and intimacy. We will speak about awe now, but come back to intimacy in a short while. The following is from Kushari's Principles of Sufism. The nature of awe is absence, gaiba. Absence, being carried beyond oneself. For in sexual magic, one is no longer a separate individual, but united in the being. For man and woman form one terrifically divine Elohim. Everyone in awe is lost to himself, meaning his animal ego, his lusts, his desires. Remember the teachings of Proverbs, chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of Jehovah is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear, awe, pechad, of Yot is the beginning of Da'at, Marifah, but fornicators despise wisdom and instruction. Awe and fear have the same meaning. To respect the creative sexual energy and never waste it, because to fornicate is to be a fool, to waste the sacred oil of the temple. From Proverbs chapter 20, verse 21. There is a treasure to be desired, an oil, shemen, semen, in the dwelling of the body or temple of the wise, but a fornicator spendeth it up. The following is from Principles of Sufism by Kushari. What is more, Sufis in a state of awe differ in degree according to their detachment from or detachment to ordinary egotistical awareness. You can say during sexual transmutation in a matrimony. Some of them are greatly detached from lust and some of them are less so because they are beginners in alchemy. All this is represented by the lance of Longinus and the Holy Grail in Christianity. The lance is a symbol of the phallus, the masculine force, that pierces our egos and annihilates them in the sexual act after we have achieved profound comprehension of such defects in meditation. Here we see the path of redemption for the soul, the union of husband and wife in the perfect matrimony. Jesus taught alchemy very clearly in other verses, especially in his teaching the Samaritan woman at the well, which is a symbol of Yasod, the waters in our earth, Malkut. This is from chapter 4 of the book of John, verses 13 to 16. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this physical water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the sublimated sexual water turned into energy that I shall give him in sexual magic, alchemy, tantra, marifa, shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. The waters become a wellspring of eternal life when we conserve them. The water regenerates and provides life continually and therefore helps us to remain young, virile, and strong. Many people think that Jesus was dismissing the woman to go get her husband as if he was ignoring her. But the answer to her question is clear. 
Call thy husband if you want to learn how to use the waters that will give you eternal spiritual life. Beautiful, no? But cryptic. The Sufis, along with the Gospels, explain the bliss of a marriage, although in a Middle Eastern way, through a heightened alchemical, Kabbalistic, sexual language. This is from Principles of Sufism by Al-Kushari. Ali ibn Abayid said, Yahya ibn Muad wrote to Abu Yazid, I am intoxicated with how much I have drunk from the cup of love. Abu Yazid wrote back to him, Someone else has drunk the oceans of the heaven and the earth, and his thirst is not yet quenched. His tongue is hanging out and he is asking, Is there any more? It's one thing to have a, an insatiable sexual desire or lust, animal passion, carnal attachments. It is a completely different thing to develop the genuine bliss and ecstasy of the soul during the same sexual act. Remember that in Hebrew, Eden means pleasure or bliss. It was the bliss humanity symbolized by Adam and Eve once enjoyed. Sex was once practiced in observance and remembrance of Allah, the being. But when humanity indulged in the orgasm, in sexual desire, they expelled themselves from Eden, that blissful state. Those who practice alchemy transform the seminal matter, the sexual waters, into conscious love, chastity, purity, light. When practicing alchemy once per day, no more. The couple rejuvenates the body, heart, and mind. In this sense, the soul's thirst for divinity is not quenched, no matter how much one transmutes from the cup of alchemy, the feminine yoni and sexual magic, because these waters constantly generate within our sexual organs, because we receive the sexual energy anew every day, and it is necessary to sublimate it daily. Christ's first miracle was the transmutation of water into wine. This is, again is symbolic. How the couple transforms these energies into the wine of the Spirit. Such a wine inebriates the soul as described within Sufism and Christianity. The following is from the book of John, chapter 2, verses 1-11. through In the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother who is of Jesus was there, again referring back to Miriam, the Divine Mother, who is going to be present at this miracle. And both Jesus, the inner intimate Christ, was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come meaning that the Lord has not yet fully manifested within the spinal medulla of the married couple yet, since they are learning to transmute for the first time. His mother Miriam saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. 
when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew. The governor of the feast called the bridegroom and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Canaan of Galilee and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. Even though it is forbidden in Islam to drink alcohol, the Sufis use the language of intoxication and drinking to talk about experiences with God and alchemy. It signifies being drunk on God, being intoxicated with love. These initiates always treated sex with respect as something sacred, unlike our humanity today. The Sufis treated sex with balance, neither something to repress or indulge in as something filthy, but through a comprehensive middle way, by utilizing sex in its true purpose and function to generate the soul. Many of these Sufi masters were, of course, married, since every man needs a wife and every wife needs a husband. These masters did not make alchemy public, but practiced marifa in secrecy, since this teaching was not explained openly until recently in the 1950s with the publication of The Perfect Matrimony by Samael on Vior. In Gnosis, we talk and seek to be drunk on the love of the divine. We previously spoke about Gnostic and Sufi psychology, how the consciousness must become inebriated by divine energy so as to awaken from its slumber. Now we are delving into the physiological and alchemical aspects of this knowledge, the secret path of Marifa, some practical components for sexual magic. In Revelation of the Mystery by Al-Hujri, a Persian Sufi master, he explains that there are two kinds of intoxication. His teaching is in relation to Persian and Arabic Kabbalah, the symbolic, mystical language of the consciousness within Middle Eastern discourse. This is from Revelation of the Mystery. There are two kinds of intoxication. One, with the wine of affection, mawadat, and two, with the cup of love, mukhabat. The former is caused, malul, since it arises from regarding the benefit, nimat. But the latter has no cause, since it arises from regarding the benefactor, munim. The wine of affection is caused, brought about by the couple's individual desires, lust, animality, nafs, or egos. They provoke the sexual act because they are filled with lust or passion. They do not unite out of dikir, remembrance of divinity, to remember the presence, hudur, of divinity as they sexually connect. These types of people do not comprehend what the cup of love signifies because they are fornicators. To drink from the cup of love is to practice chastity. Chastity does not signify abstention from sex but purity in sex. To not reach the animal spasm or orgasm. To not fornicate. To not be burned by the fornix, furnace, 
of the body through the emission of the sexual energy. It also signifies restraining lustful thoughts, feelings, and impulses in the three brains. This is difficult for beginners, but something Gnostic matrimonies learn through practice and discipline. The cup of love, sexual magic, is not caused by one's own will, but by the will of the innermost beings within husband and wife. This signifies consciousness and divinity within the sexual act. The benefactor, Munim, which etymologically relates to the Arabic word for believer, Al-Mumin, a term for an alchemist. From Revelation of the Mystery by Al-Hujwari. He who regards the benefit sees through himself and therefore sees himself, meaning his desires, egotism, lust. But he who regards the benefactor sees through him, the being, and therefore does not see himself as ego. So that although he is intoxicated, drunk on that pleasure of sexual union, his intoxication is sobriety. Meaning there is control and transmutation of the sexual energy. One is sober-headed and rational because the couples are not slaves of desire. So to be sober in Sufi terms is to be in control of one's energies in the sexual act. One dominates sex with the consciousness, redirecting the animal impulse of desire and transmuting it up the spine. Those people who let themselves be carried away by the pleasures of sex culminate in the orgasm. Thereafter, their sexuality governs their mind, and they fall downward into the abyss, forming the inverted pentagram. We are five-pointed stars, with two hands, two legs, and one head. When we control sex, we stand upright, made into the psychological image of the divine. If sex governs our head, we precipitate downwards towards the atomic infernos, the hell realms of Islam, so as to eat the bitter leaves of the tree of Zakum, as mentioned in the Quran, a symbol of spiritual death and suffering of the consciousness. This is the left-hand path of sorcery and black magic, the path of demons. The right-hand path is the path of the initiates, the solar way. Therefore, we must transform the moon into a sun. In the image of this slide, the goddess Luna is extending her hands towards the moon or lunar power of Yasod, the sexual energy. The sexual energy is lunar. It's a creative force we must transform into a sun through alchemy. It is by working with this energy that we learn to comprehend the enigmatic language of the Sufis, since this energy opens the door to comprehension for us. Remember that Psyche was asleep and later awakened through Eros, Cupid, the god of love, the erotic energy. When that power is utilized by a couple, then they begin to understand the mystical meaning of sobriety and intoxication. Sobriety also is classified in two ways, according to Al-Hujwari from Revelation of the Mystery. Sobriety is also of two kinds, sobriety in heedlessness, gaflat, and sobriety in love, machabat. The former is the greatest of veils, but the latter is the clearest of revelations. What does it mean to be sober in heedlessness? 
To be heedless is to act as an animal. To not follow the sixth commandment of divinity. Thou shalt not fornicate. It signifies a lack of practice or spiritual discipline. To not work against the ego. But to fortify it through mistaken habits. And the sleep of our consciousness. It means to feed pride, anger, lust, greed, vanity, etc. To not work with the spirit. Ruach or Ruach is to be reckless, careless in spiritual terms, in a genuine sense. If we have no consciousness of divinity, if we do not meditate, then we are heedless. Therefore, all of us fall in this category until we learn this science and apply it. Those who are sober in divine love practice alchemy and know how to conserve the seminal energy and never lose one drop of it. This energy, therefore, produces the clearest of revelations. Since, as Samael and Vior explains, many initiates know how to enter into ecstasy of the, of the divine, the spirit, to manifest God within through mastering the sexual act. The following is from Revelation of the Mystery. The sobriety that is connected with heedlessness is really intoxication, while that which is linked with love, although it be intoxication, is really sobriety. Obviously, the language is tricky. The Sufis were always playing with donkey-headed intellectuals who have no intuition. But their wisdom is clear to other initiates. They wrote in this manner to evade persecution and scandals. Anyone who gives into fear, pride, envy, hate, lust, desire, is heedless. To give into these negative psychological qualities is to be drunk in a very bad sense. Many people are drunk off their ideas, theories, beliefs, and more importantly, their sense of self, their ego, the me, myself, and I. This is the state of identification, fascination, and sleep of the consciousness. The heedless hear about esotericism and rationalize, ignoring instruction. They are heedless and drunk off the opium of theories, which Samael and Vior stated is worse than death. But that alchemical experience that is linked with love, although it be intoxication to the sexual energy, is really sobriety, sensible. To use the power for spiritual life is really the most sensible thing. This is what it means to be sober-headed, to not be carried away by passion. But lunatics, idiots... Fornicators enjoy expelling the energy of Eden from themselves. For from the book of Proverbs, chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord, respect for your sexual energy, is the beginning of knowledge, marifa, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The following is from Revelation of the Mystery by Al-Hujwari. When the principle, asl, is firmly established, sobriety and intoxication resemble one another. But when the principle is wanting, both are baseless. So what is this principle? Asl. Sexual alchemy. Scientific chastity. To connect sexually with one's partner as husband and wife. And to never lose one drop of semen. That precious energy. But to transmute it. Elevate it. Through transmutation, one is continually intoxicated by that light. Generated through the sexual cooperation of the couple.
as the couples practice sexual magic, husband and wife never lose their attraction for one another because the energy of attraction and magnetism is never expelled, but sublimated. The couple then charges one another with divine power. Through this principle of sexual alchemy, husband and wife remain intoxicated by love for one another and also remain sober-headed. They comprehend that the ego is the source of disorder and divorce. So couples who practice sexual alchemy are better off at preserving their union because fornication leads to suffering and expulsion from sexual bliss. This is how marriages can succeed rather than end in divorce, which is very common nowadays. A matrimony can be one's heaven or one's hell. Here we are teaching how couples can continually magnetize and charge each other so that they remain in happiness. When the principle of alchemy is not present within a couple, sobriety and intoxication are baseless, meaning they have no foundation in the science of Yasod, the foundation of Kabbalah. Marriage is founded on fornication, the orgasm, or pointless, baseless in a spiritual sense. When people know nothing of transmutation, the terms sobriety and intoxication take on different meanings. The sobriety of fornicators consists of all the degenerated theories in this day and age that adamantly defend the orgasm. Humanity does everything it can to explain why fornication is healthy and necessary. People also speak a lot about feeding one's desires at all costs, being intoxicated not only by alcohol and drugs, but by anger, lust, pride, and greed. This is what it means to have no foundation, to build one's house upon the sand of theories, which after the first provocation of a storm or consequences of karma will tumble and fall into the abyss. We must become true believers or followers of divinity through learning how to be through the libido. Chastity is essential and constitutes our foundation. As the Quran teaches in Surah Al-Nur, the Surah of the Light, verses 30 and 31. Tell the believing men to reduce some of their vision and guard their private parts. That is pure for them. Indeed, Allah is acquainted with what they do. And tell the believing woman to reduce some of their vision and guard their private parts and not expose their adornment except that which necessarily appears thereof and to wrap a portion of their head covers over their chests and not expose their adornment except to their husbands, their fathers, their husbands' fathers, their sons, their husbands' sons, their brothers, their brothers' sons, their sisters' sons, their women, that which their horrid hands possess or those male attendants having no physical desire or children who are not yet aware of the private aspects of women, and let them not stamp their feet to make known what they conceal of their adornment, and turn to Allah in repentance, all of you, O believers, that you might succeed. In synthesis, the light surah indicates that you cannot have spiritual light if you are not chaste. Many students who begin our Gnostic studies complain about lust. Whenever they walk across the streets in the cities, their eyes are bewildered by the sight of attractive men and women. The work of transforming lustful impressions is always most difficult for new initiates, which is why women in Islam initially wore their hijab, or head covers, to prevent the lustful eye. Whether this tradition is really 
being practiced well after the time of the Prophet is another thing. But let us continue elaborating on the language of the Sufis. From Al-Hujwari's Revelation of the Mystery. In short, where true mystics tread, sobriety and intoxication are the effect of difference. The word mystic comes from the Greek word main, to close the eyes. This signifies a person who meditates. In this case, the meditators, husband and wife, have been initiated into the sexual mysteries. For true mystics, sobriety signifies sexual purity, chastity, not in the form of abstention or celibacy, but by being pure in the sexual act. For beginners on the mystical path, intoxication refers to fornication, since people get drunk on the orgasm. When people think of sex, that is all they think about, ignoring that sex can be founded on purity and spiritual love. Sobriety for the mystic, therefore, is the opposite to be rational, controlling the sexual energy. From Hujari's Revelation of the Mystery. And when the Sultan of Truth, the Being, Allah, the Divine, displays his beauty, both sobriety and intoxication appear to be intruders, to fali, because the boundaries of both are joined, and the end of the one is the beginning of the other, and the beginning of an end are terms that imply separation which has only a relative existence. In union, all separations are negated. As the poet says, when the morning star of wine rises, the drunken and the sober are as one. When the being expresses himself within the couple, the beauty and love that husband and wife feel during the sexual act is the truest consubstantiation and fulfillment of divine love. As Fyodor Dostoevsky once stated, human love is a reflection of divine love. For the couple that unifies in compassion and selflessness, out of virtue and purity, of genuine conscious love and understanding, the terms intoxication and sobriety become concepts and intellectual terms that miss the meaning. Since the couple is so lost in the ecstasy and compassion of the being, the intellect becomes an obstacle. The consciousness, usually hypnotized by the duality and relativity of the mind, becomes absorbed within divinity, the perfect unity, thereby transcending creation. In sexual union, all separation is negated because husband and wife become one angelic being with the capacity to create divine life. There is no difference between them. Since the egos, the intruders or infidels, are not present, the nafs are absent during the ecstasy. From Hujwari's Revelation of the Mystery. As the poet says, When the morning star of wine rises, the drunken and the sober are as one. This is a beautiful teaching by Hujwari. Who is the drunken one? The soul that is drunk on God, being united with divinity through one's wife as a husband, and one's husband as a wife. Who is the sober one? The being, the real, the truth, al-haq. The morning star is Venus, the Divine Mother, wherein the waters of sex are sublimated into spiritual wine, the kundalini up the spinal medulla. When the sexual fires rise 
from the base of the spine and illuminate the brain. And the two aspects of Jehovah, Yah Chava, are united. Kundalini Shakti Chava, the intoxicated from below, marrying her divine husband, the masculine aspect of the Holy Spirit, Yah, the sober one, the real in the brain. Together, they signify Jehovah. This is the esoteric Sufi meaning of intimacy, for as Al-Kushari explains in Principles of Sufism, the true nature of intimacy, which we can say is sexual magic and union with God, is rightly sobriety. In truth, the condition of balance after mystical experience, meaning samadhi with one's wife or husband in tantrism, Everyone who becomes intimate with God becomes sober and clear. Such people vary according to the strength of their experience in chastity, being able to restrain animal desire to a specific degree. About this, the Sufis say, the lowest stage of intimacy with God is that if one were thrown into a blazing fire, one's intimacy would not be disturbed. Or, if one were thrown into a blazing fire, when the fires of sexuality are active between husband and wife, which they must dominate and control, one's intimacy, concentration, and chastity, sexual purity, would not be disturbed. Therefore, if you are lustful, you will only see lust in sex. But the great alchemists know how to see divinity and the seven heavens within the cup of gathering and witnessing Jamshid. Many Sufi dances signify the path of intimacy with God. In the film, Meetings with Remarkable Men, a biographical drama about Master Gurdjieff, there is one dance in particular that depicts these alchemical concepts. At the end of the film, Gurdjieff finds a Sufi school of initiation, wherein he witnesses a group of turbaned initiates dance and perform the runic alphabet which are a series of yogic postures used with mantras in order to accumulate energy. Eight men dance in the same spot as they position their body in the form of runic letters so as to attract the powers of divinity and perform sexual transmutation. Two other men meditate on the sides with their arms crossed in the Egyptian style with the right arm over the left. The most notable of the dancers is in the center, the ninth man, moving in a clockwise circle, demonstrating the positive rotation of the chakras. His arms are crossed since he is not performing the runes, and his centrality and firmness in the, in the dance illustrates his universal role as the being. The ninth figure among the dancers, the center initiate, also refers to the strength, solidarity, and power of Yasod, the ninth sufferer of the tree of life, which is the creative power of divinity. This is the power that can dominate the ego. The tenth figure dances in a drunken stupor around the man in the center. The drunken, intoxicated man is the soul, nafs, or ego, that must be dominated by willpower. The intoxicated man is silently guided by the somewhat stationary central figure, the being or sober one. The man in the center has his arms crossed in the Muslim style with the right arm over the left, demonstrating how the right-hand solar path dominates the left-hand lunar path. He does not show any acquiescence to the drunken man, but is firm in control 
leading the drunken initiate towards submission, Islam, to him. The being, the real or sober one, accomplishes this feat through the path of meditation and transmutation. The ten men dancing in the center are the ten sephiroth of the tree of life. The drunken man is Malkut, the physical person filled with vices, while the man in the center is Chesed, Ruach, the spirit. The two men at the sides represent the two pillars of Kabbalah, Jakin and Boaz, which support the entirety of our psychological and spiritual temple. There are other dances depicted in this film, but we don't have time to comment on all of them. And those of you who are listening on the website can play the video that accompanies the PDF. All of this dance is accomplished through the power of sex, symbolized by the movement of the creative energy through the rooms. No matter how drunk or egotistical the soul is, God is immovable, commanding, as we see in the example of the central dancer. Through exercises like runes, used to develop willpower and control, the consciousness becomes trained for sexual magic. With years of discipline, the fires of intimacy in sexual alchemy do not disturb the initiate's concentration, but remain in check, as the wild, egotistical mind bows humbly in submission before divinity in this dance. The Arabic name of divinity also hides this mystery. Allah signifies the God. Ilaha signifies goddess. Alif, the breath, is the Hebrew aleph. Prana, wind, spirit, ruach. Since both Arabic and Hebrew are Semitic languages, bearing the same roots in the Kabbalah, the language of the consciousness and of God. Allah begins with Alif, which is a separate elongated straight line, a masculine and phallic letter. This is the sacred fire of Kundalini that rises within the spine. Allah ends in Ha, a feminine letter in esotericism that references the feminine yoni, the vagina. The yoni is a circle and the phallus is a line which are easy to see in Alif and Ha. The two Lams are the sacred Arabic name of God. Each represent a person, man and woman, in esotericism. The Hebrew equivalent is Lamed, which references the tongue or speech. When man and wife unite in the sexual act to transmute, pronounce mantras, to recite the sacred verb, they are working with Allah, Elohim, the Divine. This is equivalent to the Hebrew El, the spirit, Chesed in Kabbalah, Ruach in Arabic, Elah or Eloah, which means goddess. El is masculine, Eloah or Elah is feminine. As we've been stating, divinity expresses through the sexual energy. One of the sacred names of divinity in Arabic is Al-Wadud, the loving, the kind one. Likewise, we find Al-Khaliq, the Creator. Where else within a human being do we find the possibilities for, cre- for creation through love? It is in sexual union. Alchemical knowledge is included in the sacred name Al-Wadud, which contains two Vavs, or two Waz. Vav, or Wa, can be pronounced 
as a vowel, such as an A, O, or U sound. Wa, or Vav, is a spinal column in a brain, represented by the straight line and top of Vav, and the circle and curved line of Wa. Ibn Arabi states that Wa connects the human being with the angels, the divine. Al-Wadud has two Wa's, one for man and one for woman, wherein the Kundalini rises and unites the couple with Allah. Divine unification is also represented by the two Dals or Dalets of Al-Wadud, indicating two dervishes or initiates, one man and one woman, entering the doorway of alchemical knowledge, the signs of the perfect matrimony. Da'at or Marifa in Arabic. The sexual power of divinity is well reflected within the Qur'an by the following verses. From Surah Al-Mu'minun, the believers, verse 14. Then we made the sperm drop into a clinging clot, and we made the clot into a lump of flesh, and we made from the lump bones, and we covered the bones with flesh, and we developed him into another creation. So blessed is Allah, the best of creators. After these explanations, it's logical to see from this verse that the power of divinity is in sex. While the creative energy can create a physical child, this verse from the Quran teaches about the creation of the solar bodies, the vehicles of the soul, a type of psychic matter or flesh that does not belong to fornication, but to chastity. These vehicles include the body of liberation, the sod, the spiritual aspect of Malkut, the solar astral, Hod, the solar mental, Netzach, and solar causal, Tifereth. In total, these are the lower five sephiroth of the tree of life, the Kabbalah. To sum up these Sufi and Gnostic teachings, we have the following excerpt from Mozart's opera. The Enferung aus dem Sarail, the abduction from the Seraglio. Mozart was a Freemason and a master of major mysteries who knew Sufism in depth, along with Beethoven and other initiates. These masters knew the mysteries of the occult stone, the Kaaba of Yusod. In this opera, Belmonte, a Spanish nobleman, tries to rescue his betrothed, Constanze, with his servant, Pedrillo. She was captured by pirates at sea and sent to a harem, an Arabic den of prostitution to be the slave of Basa Salim, the Pasha, ruler of Seraglio. Constance is under watch and supervision from Ozmin, a Muslim guard, whom Pedrillo tricks into drinking wine to intoxicate him and lead him to sleep. Once Ozmin is asleep, Pedrillo and Belmonte make their escape attempt with Constance. All of this is symbolic and invites us to reflect. Constanze is constancy, chastity, our divine soul trapped within whoredom, within the pollution or prostitution of animal ego, lust, desires, nafs. Belmonte is her future husband, whose Spanish name signifies beautiful mountain, Belmonte. He is Tifereth in Kabbalah, the human soul or warrior who must fight to liberate the trapped consciousness. When he conquers the ego, then he can marry his divine soul. Tifereth is our will or capacity to climb the beautiful mountain of initiation, 
which he accomplishes through Pedrillo, his servant. Pedrillo is little Peter, or little Pedro, signifying a stone. Peter is also slang for phallus. He is the little power of Yesod, the little stone that David, Tiferet, used to conquer Goliath, the ego, who is represented in this opera as Ozmin, a giant bass whose voice inspires fear. Pedrillo gives Ozmin wine to drink, which the guard, being Muslim, first denies. And yet Ozmin is tempted by the wine and drinks, ending up drunk and incapacitated, so that Pedrillo, Belamonte, and Constance can make their escape. The symbolism of wine we've already explained. It is the energy of sex that inebriates the soul and slackens the ego, putting it to sleep to make it inactive. Osmin, the ego, gets drunk off the wine and falls asleep. That energy, harnessed in meditation, has the power to put our defects to sleep so that the consciousness can escape from its shells and conditioning to experience samadhi. Represented by Padrillo's tenor singing, The Elevation of the Soul. Both Padrillo and Osmin sing about women when praising Bacchus, god of wine, the sexual potency. One can either praise a woman with chastity or praise a woman with lust and desire. Both polarities are expressed here in Mozart's aria, Vivat Bacchus, Long Live Bacchus. Osmin praises fornication, but Padrillo, little Peter, knows how to be chaste. Here we clearly see how sex is the power of liberation or damnation of the soul. Osman also reminds us of the rune Os, Otila, Telema, the rune of willpower, whereby single practitioners can learn to transmute their creative energies. Min or Mina in Kabbalistic language is sex. Interesting, no? Why would Mozart name Osmin the ego after the rune Os? and the sexual mysteries of sex, mina, the menorah. Light is generated through conquering fire, through not giving in to temptation in the sexual act, to not eat the forbidden fruit, and to culminate in the orgasm. We must instead conserve that light inside. Temptation is fire. Triumph over temptation is light. Virtues, comprehension, cognizance. We must steal fire from the devil. Those of you who are listening to the lecture online can stop and play the video clip we have available through the PDF. The sexual energy, the power of Bacchus Dionysus, is precisely a drink for the gods. This aria is not just about getting a man who is Muslim drunk, but symbolizes two paths for using the wine of light. When husband and wife are sexually united, they are truly a divine being. When the couple truly practices chastity, the ego, Osmin, is put to sleep, so husband and wife can enjoy sex with purity, to breathe the aromas of the tree of knowledge without eating its fruit. Remember that the word soraglio the harem or den of prostitution carries the three vowels e a o sera li o this is because the power of e a o jehovah is polarized negatively through us within our mind 
through lust, which is represented by the harem. You can see that Mozart was a great master of Kabbalah, which he taught in a synthetic, symbolic, and comprehensive way. Here we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane with a chalice of redemption, whereby an angel presents him with a cross, symbol of the perfect matrimony, before Christ performs his passion. Here Jesus was praying before his crucifixion, a symbol of the death of desire, the ego, upon the cross of alchemy. Remember also that the chalice is a symbol of the feminine sexual organs, through which the husband extracts the elixir or mana of spiritual life. The Garden of Gethsemane precisely represents the Garden of Eden, bliss, a matrimony. Gethsemane is the Garden of Yasod, whereby the Lord is betrayed, since Judas' sexual desire submits him to the Jewish authorities, the different egos, to be tested, contested, and condemned. Jesus represents the human soul, Tiferet, united with Chokmah, Christ, an alchemical amalgamation known as the Son of Man. Here the, master prefa- uh, here the Master prays before the work of completely annihilating his ego. He states, Father, if it be possible, pass this cup, representing sexual magic, of bitterness for me, but not my will, but thine be done. This path of sexual magic is one of sacrifice of desire. To renounce lust and the orgasm is painful for the ego, but constitutes the intoxication of the soul. It's obvious then why many people begin, but few reach the end. But those who persevere in daily transmutation, death of the ego, and selfless service for others, become constantly inebriated by the divine. They never forget their work because they never forget their being. Many people cringe when discovering the need of, or the necessity for compassion, selflessness, love for humanity. We recommend that students reflect upon the life of Jesus, who when being nailed to the cross, when he was humiliated beyond comprehension, the only thing he said was, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. This is the type of compassion we strive and struggle to develop, especially within a marriage, when cultivating the powers of our garden, our physicality. This is difficult precisely due to our conditioning, which obscures and prevents us from really accessing this state. But if we learn to see the other person's point of view, we develop the will and perception of Christ, one who does not react to life, but responds. It is one thing to react egotistically to situations, but another thing to respond with cognizance, compassion, and love, with selflessness, thinking and acting only for the benefit of the other person. In this way, we can still establish boundaries and be firm with others who need it, but not with anger. Instead, one uses kindness. This is a more potent force than any ego, any defect. The way that you really develop divine love the hardest and best way is in a marriage. Despite a couple's love and affinity, the worst conflicts the disciple faces is upon the cross during sexual union. Husband and wife must learn to sacrifice their defects to truly love one another. Crucifixion symbolizes the pain one goes through in an alchemical work in the disintegration of the ego. One can only transcend such pain through comprehension 
and annihilation of one's defects in meditation. Or, after having comprehended an ego, asking for its annihilation upon the cross within the sexual act, as explained in the mystery of the Golden Blossom and the perfect matrimony by Samael on Vior. The following quote we'll conclude with is from Principles of Sufism by Al-Kushari. They recited, I'm amazed at someone who says, I've remembered my darling. Have I ever forgotten my being that I should have to remember? I die to my ego, remembering you, my being. Then come back to spiritual life. Were it not for my good thought of you, I would not have revived. Desire's object lives, my being continues, when I die to egotistical desire. How many times have I lived for you, and how many times died? Through the comprehension and disintegration of my defects. I drink love, transmuted water, muhaba, glass after glass, day after day in alchemy, only once per day in observance of the creative magnetic pause mentioned in the mystery of the golden blossom by Samael and Veor. The alchemical glass, my sexual organs, is not empty because the seminal matter is always being generated but transmuted by the alchemists. My spiritual thirst is not sated. I will not cease my transmutations, but strive forward. So continue to practice and develop your self-observation from moment to moment. At the end of each day, reflect on how conscious you were of your three brains, mind, heart, and body. Every day, sit in a comfortable meditation posture, sitting upright either in a meditation bench, cushion, or Western style in a chair. Relax your mind, heart, and body. Vocalize the mantras, Om, Masi, Padme, Hume, to develop divine compassion and to transform the energies of your body into spiritual fire and spiritual light. The mantra sounds like this. Om, this mantra for 30 minutes or more. This mantra translates as, Oh, my internal God. The seven chakras are awakened by this mantra. Remember that by conserving the waters of love and by pronouncing the sacred word, the mills or chakras awaken. This is even more powerful within a perfect matrimony. To learn more about the knowledge covered in this lecture, we invite you to study the books available through Glorian Publishing or GnosticTeachings.org. You can also view free online courses, lectures, transcriptions, and articles available at ChicagoGnosis.org. 
All of this is made possible by the support of listeners like you. Have you benefited from this knowledge? Help others by making a tax-deductible donation at chicagognosis.org. We thank you for listening. We hope that these lectures aid you in developing your complete and divine potential. May all beings be happy. May all beings be joyful. May all beings be in peace. Thank you.